Ladies and gentlemen, 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 gentlemen you are now, 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 now listening to two, 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 the P13 Podcast. Yeah. All right, welcome back to the P13 Podcast. Mr. Conway, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Oh, yeah, I forgot to introduce you. I bet that's already a... Should I do introduce that? Introduce me? Yeah. I mean, that was an introduction. But I, We'll I, count it. We, we're missing something. What's that? The deep, soulful <laughs> voices... Can't get used to it. ...are coming through those earphones, similar to the one Luther Vandross. Ah, Luther. Yeah. Is the Mr. Con Mr. Great Thomas man. Conway. Great man. The Mr. Conway? The Mr. Uh, Thomas? I think just Mr. Conway. Or dear Not a fan of the before a name. Dear the Thomas Mr. Conway? I don't know what you're even <laughs> saying at this point. Uh, anyways, at the time of this recording, it's Halloween weekend and Outside Lands weekend. So if you are seeing this on the video. OSL, baby. I have a nice little tie-dye shirt here. He's not going to outside lands. I am though. not going to outside lands at the He's moment. He's just dressing for it. I it's it's in memory of the times past. Yes, you wish you could go. You're there in spirit. There in spirit this yeah. year. Maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have a special day. As many days here in the pod, we have a special guest. Yes. This is a repeat guest. Repeat is guest. Is this our first? Uh, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. You are first our first repeat, repeat guest. guest. Yeah. Most people don't like us enough to come back. You know? <laughs> Usually like those guys are stupid. I'm just old <laughs> enough. I couldn't remember what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There we go. <laughs> uh, but you have just heard the voice of that guest. Uh, just a refresher on this person. She has a doctorate in nutritional physiology from the University of Utah. She is a jiu-jitsu world champion. She is the chief product officer at Gnarly Nutrition. Shout out, Gnarly. Thank you for the creatine, protein, mm. fuel. It's been great. BCAAs. I know we've been playing around with a lot of yep, that. Yep, it's been good. Um, hope you all, those members, hope you've been enjoying that. And for those Gnarly uh, consumers, hope you're enjoying your products as well. Uh, she has generously taken her time out of her busy schedule to bless you all with knowledge Different knowledge. Last time, you may have heard her on our Creatine podcast. It is out there for consumption. It's on Spotify. And now she's here to educate us all with specifically nutrition for the active individuals. Am I right? You are correct. We took a very deep dive into a specific topic, which was great because creatine is a very misunderstood product, mm -hmm. as we especially learned on that episode. So um, today we're going to be talking a little bit more about general nutrition because, you know, as we've talked about previously on the show, nutrition is very, very confusing. She has a lot of knowledge about it, but she also lives it, right? So she is a um, very high functioning athlete, I would say. I and she's also worked with people in this realm as well. So we really want to clear up kind of the a lot of the misconceptions and all the people that come into the gym, I would say fall into this category of active adults. Cause one, they train with us and our training for those of you that have been in know that it's not easy. It's pretty demanding on the body. So making sure that you're recovering appropriately. And one of the big recovery recovery modalities is nutrition. You know, that's very important making sure you're recovering. Uh, well, on top of that, all our people usually do other stuff, right? They're skiing, they're, they're active. hiking, they're, they're doing basketball, jiu -jitsu. basketball, jujitsu. Now they're jujitsu. Now jujitsu. At least but I am. Every anybody is welcome to come with me. 
Absolutely. I will it's be joining soon. Jiu-jitsu for everyone. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's the one and only Dr. Shannon O'Grady. There we go. That was a long-winded intro, but there we go. We got to it. <laughs> we got to it. Yeah. Thanks, we got guys. excited on the intro. <laughs> but yeah. So with that, like we said, we're going to be talking a lot about nutrition in the context of training or at least in the context of fueling activity and and really thinking about maximizing your training through your nutrition. So first thing, we'll kind of start with some basics and we can even get into some definitions about what is being active. Maybe Shannon, you can provide your perspective on that. So let's start with that. I think it's hard for people to understand, you know, most people have sedentary jobs. So what would you define as like someone that is relatively active? Like you could go hours of training per week or hours of activity per week. Let's kind of start with that and your thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, it, it also, there's a gray area in terms of like, you know, intensity mm-hmm. and, and how hard you're going. But I'd say generally anybody that is getting their heart rate up for 30 to 60 minutes, like three to five days a week, for me, that's being active you know, the more that you're pushing it, the longer periods of time that you are being active, that's exactly where, where things like nutrition and need a little bit more mindfulness to support that activity. Love it. And then, so talking about some basic nutrition, foundational nutrition principles that people can have in place to set themselves up in, in a good starting point, we will talk maybe a little bit more down the line and as it relates to gaining muscle or losing weight, but regardless of what the goal is on either side of that spectrum, what are, what do you, what would you say for either yourself or clients that you work with are some basic principles that are valuable to have in place as it relates to nutrition? Sure. I think the first one was funny. I was trying to remember (laughs) my dad always used to call it the six P's, Mm. which was Planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance, but I think generally it's known oh. as the five P's and it doesn't, it's not piss poor performance. Got it. All right. He just added in that. <laughs> but I, I like my dad's version yeah. better. A little more um, authority. Yeah. I think we yeah. agree with that one too. Yeah. 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 Um, I think generally, just like I said, with being more mindful, putting some effort into preparing nutrition and to think, even just thinking about what you're going to eat over the course of a week. Often when people make quote unquote bad decisions or rash decisions, it's when they haven't taken the time to put some thought into their nutrition or they're so hungry that they're just opening the cabinets and grabbing what's ever in there. And that's where decisions that might not either support what we're doing actively or might put us in this like downward spiral of, oh, I ate so bad and I'm, I'm just going to eat some more food that doesn't support my, my activity or makes me feel bad about myself. So I think that doesn't need to go as far as like meal planning, which I think can be helpful for some people, but mm-hmm. it can be as, as easy as making sure you have snacks that are supportive of your efforts or make you feel good in your refrigerator or cupboard or potentially picking out some recipes that are good, healthy recipes that have good macronutrients, that'll be a good recovery meal and shopping for those recipes ahead of time, just putting some thought into it. That would be kind of my major recommendation. Mm-hmm. I'd say secondarily, we always hear it, but I think it should be stressed and not enough people do it is eat the rainbow. So 
lots of vegetables, lots of fruits, lots of variety. Try to make vegetables at least half of your plate at most meals. Important for micronutrients, important for fiber intake, important for glycogen storage long-term, which it can help with performance and activity. Try to include some protein at every snack or meal. Ideally, 20 grams if you can get your protein level up that high. For some people on snacks, that can be difficult, but it really should be the goal to optimize muscle protein synthesis. So trying to get protein consistently throughout the day can really help with recovery. Hydrate consistently, get your fats from whole foods in which it's naturally occurring. So things like fish, nuts, avocado, time, simple carb intake before, during, and after training uh, to boost performance and recovery. Slow down your eating and, and thoroughly chew your food. So don't rush through meals and then always consider alcohol. Uh, Mm. I think it's important to have fun with food, to have a drink, to enjoy yourself. But also if it, if it ends up being a few drinks every night of the week and you're not sleeping well and you're having trouble recovering and you're not hitting your performance goals, oftentimes alcohol can do a little bit more damage than we really want to give it credit for because it's a way for us to de-stress, but it can be something that makes a big difference. Just cutting down can make a huge difference. So not not saying don't have it, I'm just saying consider it given everything else you're trying to to accomplish with with your training. I'd say yeah. those are my big ones. Okay. Those are very good. And yeah, follow up on on a few things. The the alcohol is a big one, and we, we talk to our folks quite a bit about it, and it does seem very hard for people to manage that, I think, a little bit, I think, and especially depending on your demographic, if you're at an age where that's a very Focus for common, socialization. Yeah, like you want to socialize a lot, and people have a hard time socializing and not drinking and stuff like that, and outside lands outside this Outside lands is a great example. We're going to have a lot of folks that are uh, coming in on Monday feeling pretty rough. Or Wednesday. Or Wednesday, because they need Monday and Tuesday to just sleep. We'll see. Those are, I think, some very, very good principles that you laid out and, and a lot of stuff that's... Uh, easy for people to start with and and digest, no pun intended. So kind of like segueing from that, you know, in in nutrition, there's oftentimes general recommendations that are provided. And we'd like to get your perspective on this. Anytime you look at the back of a box, it's based on a, what, a 2000 calorie diet, correct? Mm -hmm. Like all those, all those percentages. Then there's for certain micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, there's RDAs, correct? Recommended daily amounts um, that you could take. So are, are those guidelines that are provided more so from the, I guess, National Nutrition Board, are those things that you kind of pay attention to or are you more so focused on those, those main principles that you laid out and, and you would only kind of dial in those RDAs for supplements like if you were trying to focus on something specific? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I as far as the RDA for micronutrients, I'm pretty comfortable with those. They were just up, well, they just updated them. And now those updates are, you're starting to see them recognized on nutrition and supplement facts in the past, like 12 months, Mm. you'll start to see those facts boxes look a little different and the values and units associated with those values look a little different. So for, for most things, I'm pretty comfortable with, you know, I'd say there are some places like the vitamin D 
uh, vitamin D levels are, are pretty low. I think uh, about an NHANES study said uh, measured about 70% of the population was deficient in vitamin D. I think so for something like that, a little bit more attention needs to be paid to intake. But for most of the micronutrients, the RDA is a pretty good guideline. I'm definitely not a big fan of overdosing on uh, vitamins and minerals, which I think a lot of people do, particularly B vitamins and things like that. I don't, I don't think that's necessary even for active individuals. And I think if you're getting in your, your, a lot of vegetables through your diet, for the most part, you should be good. There are some exceptions if you're plant-based, iron and B12 should be considerations. I think all people should have their vitamin D level checked and see where they are just because of lifestyle, sunscreen usage, where you live, and, and the amount of sunlight that, that you get on a seasonal basis. Um, but those are things that you can work with a, a healthcare practitioner that might know more about your lifestyle to, to zone in on. As far as macronutrients, I think, you know, do not look at the RDA, especially if you're an active individual. 2000 calorie diet is not enough for most active people. It's really dependent upon body size and goals and things like that. But I'd say for most people, that's probably not enough. I mean, for instance, if you look at the RDA for protein, it's, it's 0.8 grams of protein per kilo of body mass per day. Uh, typically for active individuals, I, I start at a recommendation of, of 1.5 to 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram body mass per day. So, you know, pretty much double what mm -hmm. the RDA is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, for, as far as macros and total calories, uh, no, I, and, and they say, I mean, I think, I think it says somewhere that those recommendations are for sedentary individuals. So mm -hmm. by no means do they say that 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 is appropriate for an active person. Um, and hopefully most people are not using those guidelines to uh, inform them about their macronutrients if they're if they are highly active. I was going to say it's it's just interesting that you'd say that there's just it, this kind of just unlocked kind of a memory for me, I should say, of like, uh, remember when Michael Phelps first came on the scene? Yeah. And the Olympics. They talked about his training. diet. Yeah. They're yeah. talking about how much he ate. And it's just like, oh, like that's a lot of calories. But you got to understand like he's expelling. Yeah. He's like much. above an active individual. Like True. he's like the most active you could get, especially mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. But yeah. it's just interesting because you are just us talking about like, oh, yeah, that 2000 calories is just not it's not generalizable for a lot of people who are especially no. active. And no, the, I mean, the other thing that I just thought of though, as you were talking about that, like you said, you hope most people don't use that to determine their caloric needs. But unfortunately, I mean, I would just guess because most people don't know a lot about nutrition and that's kind of the only thing that they see. So my thought would be like, I think most people probably do use that as a guideline, you know, and I mean, I just think of a few people off the top of my head that I've kind of seen do this, but really looking at the labels of the package and kind of, I mean, calorie counting and tracking and macro tracking is kind of a big deal, but I guess I'm thinking or trying to say, if you have that as a reference and that's the baseline reference, it's possible that a lot of people could be missing the mark, right? Completely. I think missing the mark either on a macronutrient basis or missing and or missing yeah. the mark also on just providing your body the calories it needs to do what you're asking of it. Right. And, and 
you can look at how that can lead to bigger health issues for women not consuming enough protein as they age. That can lead to osteoporosis, like not consuming enough calories in total. We were talking about hormones earlier before that can impact both testosterone levels and estrogen levels. Um, you know, so it can have a number of downstream impacts that go above and beyond whether or not you're hitting PRs in the gym. Those are all very good points. So great follow-up question to that. How, how would you recommend that people determine their, uh, we'll start first with like calorie needs. How would you recommend that people determine their calorie needs? Is it more subjective or do you have like an objective approach that you use with a lot of people? Yeah. I mean, I think I usually I kind of start with asking them where, where their weight is not in terms of, do they want to gain weight or lose weight, but whether or not it's stable. Mm. So if, if your weight's pretty stable, if you're pretty consistent, it means that the amount of calories that you're taking in right now, or you have been taking in, you're in your maintenance zone, right? Yep. You're not gaining weight, you're not losing weight. So the amount of calories that you're giving your body is enough calories to maintain your weight given everything else that you're doing. If you're working with someone whose weight fluctuates a fair amount, and you're going to see some fluctuation due to like, eat more carbs, glycogen stored with water, you might have more water weight, mm. females might see more fluctuation due to, you know, where they are in their menstrual cycle. So things can affect that. But if they are on like an upward trend of gaining mass or a downward trend of losing weight, then it might take a little more effort to find out where that like point of maintenance is. And I always like to start there because then given the person's goal, it's easier to figure out what to manipulate whether they're trying to mass gain or whether they're trying to, to lose mass mm -hmm. um, or if they're just trying to improve the nutritional quality of their diet and fine tune it. So making sure that we're at least maintaining the calories and then changing what foods help them hit, hit that caloric goal. Got it. Yeah. And so it's more of a, an observation method where you're kind of just seeing what their weight does initially with their maybe normal eating patterns. And then based on that, you're like, all right, well, let's, up it a little bit or down a little bit based on the goals? Yeah. I mean, there's, there are calculators online. Most of them are based on the Harris Benedict equation, which takes into account, uh, weight. It takes into account gender, age, and height, and it'll give you, a, a estimate of your basal metabolic rate. Basal metabolic rate is basically the energy required for your body to just function as a sedentary individual, it doesn't take into account, like, even the energy that your body needs to digest food, it doesn't take into account, um, you know, your activity level. So there are uh, multipliers that you can use to take, you know, to estimate those other pieces that are going to affect your total calorie needs. Um, but with most things, that's also an estimate. So um, yeah. it, it's just important to realize that, uh, you might have to play with those numbers a little bit, even if you do use something um, like a calculator as opposed to just seeing where you are uh, currently. Yeah, and that's what, you know, we, uh, in my graduate work, I, uh, we, we talked about some of the equations to determine BMR and then, you know, factoring in other variables like activity. And it was, I mean, it's it's very hard and it'd be very hard for just the average person to kind of be like, 
what is my activity factor? Cause it's kind of subjective. I think, I, I don't know if it's that one, but it had like maybe five different categories, like very sedentary, like sedentary, lightly active, lightly active, very active. And you're like, well, I mean, I don't know. And like, also it changes week to week maybe. So it's, it can be kind of confusing. I think if people are trying to use those to, to know what to plug in and that's where, again, those definitions of what is active can, I guess, maybe provide some guidance if people are trying to use those, but your, your, your main approach would be like, just kind of see where things where things are at and how they move based on what you do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that you talked about calorie tracking early on and I think one of the, I I don't weigh my food. I don't calorie track. I have a pretty good idea just because of what I do of like what general caloric values are, what general macronutrient values are. I also tend to build my plates based on the guidelines that I discussed previously. And when I follow those guidelines, I feel better about Mm -hmm. myself. I feel like I have the energy I need. And so I don't, because of that, because I don't have any mass gain or mass loss goals, as long as I'm supporting my body in that way, I feel good. But I think for some people who may not have that comfort level with food intake, it can be useful to track food for a little bit. And maybe sometimes that's just writing down your food. Maybe that's um, trying to get an understanding of macronutrient levels and calorie levels in certain servings of food. It can be useful for a short period of time. And for some people, they like to do it for longer periods of time. I always am concerned that that can set up a bad relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder if just the act of having to calorie track changes how you eat. Because I know when I've done it in the past, right? And I want to make this like recipe. I, all of a sudden I'm like, oh God, like how am I going to figure out yeah. how many calories are in this recipe? And now they've made it really nice. And some apps you can like upload the recipe, but then it's like, well, how many servings am I consuming? And what mm-hmm. does that mean? And so the simple process of having to enter things into a calorie tracking app changes the way that I eat. Yeah. And does that in and of itself affect like the whole process? Like it, you know, so I also worry about that a little bit, but like I said, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And I think you can, it's good to have some awareness of that. What I like more and what I recommend more Uh, recently with people that I've worked with is this, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the precision nutrition group, Yep. but they've promoted a lot of this portion sizing based on paint on your hand. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think they were the first ones to come up with it, but they've done a really good job of a lot of good infographics. Yeah. Great graphics that are really easy to understand. And I think because that's something that applies to like the protein serving being the palm of your hand, right? That's pretty true for most Mm -hmm. protein sources. And that serving is like anywhere from 20 to 30 grams of protein. Like if you know that and you're at a restaurant, doesn't matter if your scale's not there. You have a pretty good idea of the amount of protein you're getting. A skill like that is going to be more useful in the long term than relying on uh, a calorie tracking app or having to weigh out everything you eat. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, just to piggyback off what you, you touched on a little bit with terms of how you feel like when you're trying to calorie count, what are other some, what are some other behavioral tendencies you see when people are trying to like clean up their nutrition or they're trying to hit certain goals and maybe some other mental states regarding eating? Yeah, I think that I see a lot of people when they're trying to quote unquote, clean up their nutrition, cut out things that they perceive as not being clean or not being good. I'm not a big fan of demonizing food unless you have some kind of a allergy or a reaction to a food that is bad for you. you Don't know, really like whether it's white sugar or white bread or <laughs> white potatoes, like I don't think any of those foods are inherently bad. It's just how our relationship to those foods and how we consume them, that becomes the problem. And so I'm not a big fan of, I'm going to be eating clean, I'm going to get in shape, therefore I'm going to cut out these five foods. Because for me, most, most of the time that's not sustainable. And I think any dietary change or dietary path that we embark on should be something that we're trying to maintain for the long term. And usually taking these extreme diet you know, fad diets or just totally Xing out food groups is not sustainable. Um, so I'd say that. And then when people are may, might be changing their food, their food specific to training, often I also see they're trying to lose weight at the same time that they're trying to perform. And those two things, it's really hard to get them to exist. Uh, at the same time simultaneously, right? You're if you there's nothing wrong with trying to change your body composition or or attempting to lose weight, but your efforts should be focused on there because in order to do those things, you need to be in a caloric deficit and if you're in a caloric deficit, you will never be performing as well as you could if your body had the calories it needed to do what you were asking. So I think also separating those things out I think I tend to recommend that most people focus on getting strong and making dietary changes that promote that performance and strength. And usually when they do that, you see a change in body composition that they're happy with. And oftentimes weight loss might accompany that. But making small changes that are sustainable and that are going to support their efforts in the gym, in the hills or wherever it is they, they choose to be active, that seems to be the the equation that works best for most. Yeah. And so to your first point, perhaps a better way for people to look at improving their nutrition instead of I've heard most people say, I'm not going to eat this, or I'm not going to eat that, or I'm cutting out carbs or whatever it may be. They, they get into a more restrictive mindset, but I guess maybe a better approach would be to, I suppose, focus on a group of foods that for you serves you very well and try to eat mostly those, but then I guess tell yourself mentally, I'm not excluding anything. I'm just going to make those a staple and sure there'll be fringe things that I have like a cookie on Friday night when my wife makes cookies or so Ashley made cookies last night. Oh, Damn it. But so kind of but don't demonize like, it. I, I, I well, no, I almost demonized it. it. Then she was like, it's paleo and gluten free. And I was like, give me two. No, yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had one. Uh, but as I had it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Because I've yeah. I've been focusing on my nutrition a little bit more recently. 
And like this week has gone really good. We were just in New York last week. So I had a lot of pizza and bagels. As I was doing that, I told myself that like, it's all good. I had, mm-hmm. I had a really healthy dinner that made me feel really good. And so ultimately, yes, like, do, I mean, I suppose a good approach would be for people to have like these foods that they focus on and then the fringe foods that might just creep in. Yeah. And I would also, you know, you and I are different in that I'm like, cookie makes a great pre-workout snack, uh, you know, Ooh, <laughs> like, there we go. I, you know, what, what do I need to fuel me as an athlete before I train? Mm. I need easy to digest carbohydrates yep. that my body will absorb quickly. <gasps> yep. There are a lot of those in cookies, you know, it like, yes. I'm all about the cookies. If I'm on an endurance, if I'm on a four hour ride, you're going to find cookies in my Jersey pocket. Like it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> homemade I, or chips ahoy. Dude, I, I am all about the homemade cookies. There we go. Husband loves them. My kids love them. Yeah. So I am not saying that everybody needs to eat cookies all the time, but I'm also (laughs) saying that like cookies are not a bad food. Yeah. They are not. I mean, whether they're paleo or gluten-free or if those are ways of eating that make you feel better, then more power to you. But a plain old Chips Ahoy cookie will serve you well as a pre-workout meal also. I mean, when it becomes a problem is when I uh, you're like eating the whole bags, bag of Chips Ahoy, what is driving you to do that mm-hmm. is usually not hunger, mm-hmm. right? It's usually not because those cookies are about to support any kind of athletic endeavor you're going to do. To do. And that's where the issue is with cookies or whatever is in cookies that somebody might perceive as being bad. It's when when you're using carbohydrates uh, around either before, during, or after exercise, your body's either turning them into fuel or replacing fuel that was just spent. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, I mean, for me, that's a recipe. It's for what success. you want. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I I suppose you could also say that like context matters. Totally. Yeah. Context matters. And I mean, could you choose a banana for that pre-workout meal? Yeah. Does a banana have some other, you know, micronutrients in in it that are, that are good? Yeah. Might that be a choice that, that is better? Yeah. Some people would, would think so. Um, But if you prefer a cookie, have the damn cookie. Mm, Love it. I did actually uh, have some banana pancakes before my first jujitsu class. And they fueled me very well. Ooh. Had some maple syrup on there too. Yeah, it was delicious. And I crushed I, it. Although yeah, I got choked I out plenty of times. And it makes you feel emotionally <laughs> good too. It did, yeah. It made me ready to go. I was like, let's go, let's go get my ass kicked. <laughs> get, and sure get, enough, that's what happened. Go get choked out. It was fun. It was Shout fun. out John Benitez. What's up, Jonathan? <laughs> I think uh, making space for foods that make you feel good, that you enjoy eating, and figuring out how those can fit. So it's not this like, oh, right. I want to get mm-hmm. caught in the cookie jar. Right. So, but then when you are in the cookie jar, you're, you're like, like wow, I'm that already was really here. good. I haven't had a cookie in a while. I'm going to yeah. have eight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of just comes back to the not demonizing foods thing. That's, that's pretty big. It's huge for me. I yeah. mean, and I think for a lot of people, our society likes to point fingers elsewhere mm-hmm. instead of pointing the finger at your own relationship with food yeah when you eat food how you view food and i think that's a big problem right 
I think it leads to a lot of bad behaviors and, and bad eating styles that lead to unhealthy, um, unhealthy people and, and long-term issues with, uh, metabolic disease. Yeah. So I guess like thinking about that, this is a kind of a thought that just popped into my mind. You mentioned a little bit like the bigger picture society. So obviously the, the U S is not in a good place metabolically, right? There's a lot of overweight people. I mean, do you think that's at a, at a bigger societal level, do you think that's kind of a systemic issue that, that stems from education or is it misinformation? Because again, like people somewhere along the way, we started labeling foods as bad and then that made people, more people build that bad relationship and then binge and then like this vicious cycle occur. Or what do you think is the, the primary driver of that? And do you have any ideas for how we resolve that as a, as a collective? That's a big question. It is a big question. I'm throwing <laughs> it out there. I think it's, it's a multifaceted answer. I think moving more is a big part Lifestyle. of the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting people to be more active, even if it's that taking a walk for 20 to 30 minutes a day. I think that also the rushing from one place to the next and looking for foods of convenience, whether that's like fast food or just highly processed food that we buy at the grocery store, that's another problem, both because those are condensed calories that are consumed quickly and are typically high fat, high sugar, you know, really palatable things that yeah. are easy to eat a lot of. For so we sure. end up not moving as much as we should and eating concentrated calories that are of the worst combination. So, you know, I don't necessarily think high fat foods are bad. I don't necessarily think high sh sugar foods, unless they're eaten when you're not active, are bad. But high fat and high sugar foods all in one, you know, the, those are the ones that can really cause major issues and are also the ones that taste the best. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, that's a combination of it. I think nutrition in general is undertaught, both, For sure. you know, in the early, our early years in school, but also all the way through medical school, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Doctors aren't even, and it may be different now, but doctors aren't even given, I think, as many nutrition courses as they should. I've, to really I, I be always, able to... I've always heard they need just one credit. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard that too. And that's why I say I, I'm not sure what's going on now because I hope it's changed, but right. I have no idea. But right, like it, that's the baseline for so many diseases that are of like major concern looking at the health of uh, the US of the population yeah. that at least knowing how to help somebody or refer them to a registered dietitian or someone that can help them work through the baseline cause of a lot of these diseases that have metabolic impacts, I think is extremely important. You know, we're, we're definitely in the, a society where band-aids and just giving someone a prescription is the easy way out when in reality you could change someone's life by teaching them to eat correctly. So right. I think all of those things, lack of education on nutrition at all levels, making nutrition decisions based on convenience, and then also just being a society that is not active, that spends too much time on the screen, that spends too much time indoors, 
I think all of those things end up being an issue compounded um, by each other. Yeah. And that concludes part one with our discussion with Dr. Shannon O'Grady. Stay tuned for part two, where we will delve into a few more things regarding nutrition, such as fad diets, micro macronutrients, supplements, and even a little lightning round of questions from our very own members here at P13. So look forward to that, and we will see you soon. Thank you again for listening to the P13 podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. This podcast was produced by Project 13 Gyms and a special thanks to Studio Pod Media for providing the studio space and additional production. Absolutely. You can find us on social media on Instagram at Project 13 Gyms. You can find myself at Kemifan, that is K-E-M-I-F-A-N. How about you, Thomas? Where can they find you on your social media? You can find me at Conway Bunga. That's C-O-N-W-A-Y-B-U-N-G-A. You can also check us out at project13gyms.com. And if you're in the SF area, come train with us at Project 13 Gyms in Lower Knob Hill.